Well, my name's Scott. I have the privilege of serving here as lead pastor. So glad you joined us today. Uh, <clears throat> whether you're online or you're here in the room. Uh, we're wrapping up this series today. We've been in over this uh, beginning part of the fall called Heart to Heart. We've been looking at the letter that the Apostle uh, John wrote, 1 John, and we're ending that today. I want to I give you, as we end this, um, where I think John takes us. I want to help you. Uh, I want to help you in two ways. I, I want to give you, just as we start here before we read the scripture, I want to I give you a, my pastoral observations about our present moment. And I want to give you a couple of questions to help frame that. And I, I, I really, truly believe this will help you today. When I was growing up, there was uh, <clears throat> this book my parents gave me. It was called the, uh, if I remember the title right, The Big Book of Facts. And the Big Book of Facts, I think, was intended to introduce you to uh, being a useless person who knows Trivial Pursuit answers. I think that's what it was about. Because it was just random, useless you know, information. And I, I poured over that thing because I love to read and I read that thing so many times, and one of my favorite entries, it was kind of like a, a, a children's version of an encyclopedia with pictures, if you want to think about it that way. One of my favorite entries was about this guy named Wrong Way Corrigan. Uh, he, a number of years ago, was a pilot. The short story is he's very famous for getting in the plane and supposedly, according to the story, thought he was flying from the East Coast to the West Coast, but because, you know, hence the name Wrong Way Corrigan, he ended up landing in Ireland. How do you do this? I don't know. I don't know if it's an urban legend. I don't know if they just did that so I'd have a sermon illustration in 2020. I have no idea. My point being, uh, he was thinking he was going one direction, and he ended up somewhere entirely different. So here's my question for you. For For me, this functions like a metaphor for our current moment, and maybe for your life. Are you moving in the right direction? More important question. How do you know? Second, second observation, pastoral observation. We're, we're, we're deeply concerned. We're deeply uh, interested in winning. And when I say we, I'm, I'm talking about us Christians collectively. We're, we just seem, I just listen to the news and I... Uh, follow people on social media, and I read articles, and I, you know, I listen to podcasts, and I, we're just really interested in winning right now. And, and as we're really interested in winning right now, you know, we, we, we've decided who is right, and we've decided who is wrong, and the people who are right agree with us, and the people who are wrong are the people who don't. And again, it's, a, it's the same, it's the, it functions as the same thing. It's, it's a metaphor for us. Is are you winning? Let's ask this question about your life. Are you winning at your life? And maybe the more important question that John's going to talk to us about this morning, how would you know? Now John, in 1 John chapter 5, answers both, both of these questions. I want to invite you, if you would, to stand with me as we read the scriptures together. It's our practice to do that out of reverence for God's word. I'm going to read it aloud, and then you can follow along on the screen. Here it is, 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Listen, verse 2. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, 
to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that's overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, John here gives us, uh, I just want to outline where we're going to go today. John here gives us a command that you and I need to do. John uh, gives us here in, in 1 John chapter 5 a, a promise that you and I need to hold on to. And then John gives us an example that we need to follow, a command to do, a promise to hold on to, and an example to follow. What's the command? It's right there, verse 2 and 3. This is how we know the love that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, notice what he says. This is love for God to keep his commands. So here's what John's saying to us right out of the gate. How do I know if I love God or not? What's the the test? John doesn't give us ooey-gooey, sappy spirituality. He does what every married person knows and does, right? How do you know if you love your spouse? You do what is asked of you, right? All husbands, right? All wives, more husbands than wives, right? Maybe I don't. If you love that person and they ask you to do something, guess what you do out of love? You do what they ask. You keep their command. Now, I, I, I understand even when I say the word command, there's a whole range of responses and reactions that you and I have. And so I have a, I have a few questions. As I was reading this, I, I just had some questions about what commands are like, and, and I, three specific. First, you know, what, what are we talking about when we say a command? Now, let me give this to you if you're taking notes and you have our sermon notes. Uh, a command, it, it's simply this, a command gives us a path forward. When we don't know what to do and someone wiser than us comes along and says, do this, it gives us a, a path forward. Uh, if you've been served in the military, you know the military runs on commands. If you've been a parent, you know that parenting runs on <laughs> commands. Uh, If you own a business, uh, you you lead in a business, you know that uh, you succeed or you fail on the basis of, you wouldn't maybe use this word, but commands. If you teach or you're a principal, you know that you are instructing your students. You wouldn't say it this way because they wouldn't respond to you, but you know that they function, your school functions on commands. The basic institutions that make up modern life run on the rails of commands, and honestly, our society would fall apart if there weren't commands. Your phone, your laptop would be a paperweight if it weren't for the commands telling your phone and your laptop what to do, right? So what is a command? A command gives us a path forward. Now, I, I, I though, I, this was what I did inside when I read this passage. I thought, okay, well, but Why is it that you and I chafe so much when someone gives us a command? Well, it's deeply embedded in the cultural narrative of our our culture that no one should have the right to tell another person what to do. Even how we conceive collectively of freedom, we think freedom means I I am free from anyone ever again telling me what I have to do. I am free 
from anyone giving me any commands. Now, there's a really beautiful part of that because collectively, as a democracy, we've said, you know, no to tyranny. And so what, what we're doing is protecting ourselves from tyranny when we do that. But we're all hypocrites on this. Because what we do is we bypass that impulse when we agree with the command and we think everybody else ought to keep the commands we think are valid. So we chafe at commands. But we need to make sure we understand specifically what John is asking of us here, what God is asking of us through John. What is it that, what is it that being asked of us when John says we're to keep his commands, what is it that Pastor John has been telling us repeatedly, and if you've been with us in the series, you've heard these. So I just, I went back through First John, uh, you know, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and, and I just pulled out some of the, 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 the lines here that John gives us, the commands. I'm going to put them on the screen for you, and I just want you to see, because it's going to become very plain to you what the command is. Here he is in First John chapter 2, John says, I'm writing you a new command. Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light. First John 3. This is the message we heard from the beginning. We should, that's a command word, we should love one another. First John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought, a command word, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. First John chapter 3, verse 23. And this is the command. Believe in the name of his Son and to love one another as he commanded us. First John 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. First John 4, verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Are you picking up the command? First John chapter 4, verse 21. And he has given us this command, in case we missed it by this point. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So what is the command? What is the path forward that John is giving to you and I, the command that you and I are to do? It's to love one another. Here's what John says. If you want to love God, if you want to know if you love God, here's how you do it. You love the person next to you. That's how you love God. That's how you keep his commands is by loving the person next to you. And John says, and his commands, they're not, they're not a burden to you. One of Jesus' most famous sayings, he says, listen, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke on you, for my, my yoke is easy, and my burden, he even uses that word, my burden is light, and you'll find rest for your souls. And, and you and I, the reason we don't like commands is because we're not sure we trust the person giving the commands. And what John's trying to repeat and underline and bold and, and double underline is say, well, could you trust the character of somebody who, instead of killing his enemies, dies sacrificially for them? Would you trust the character of a person who commands you to do that? So I want, I want to just for a second, could I help you reframe how you and I think about commands from God. Because honestly, if you're a modern person living in the world, there's a sense in which you will chafe if you think this is a sense of obligation that you have to keep or else. And for me, it goes back to leadership because uh, this is really actually a leadership principle. Um, It it took me a while through a lot of mistakes as a leader to realize this, but um, one of your main jobs as a leader is to build a culture. Doesn't matter if you're in a classroom, uh, in a school, in a church, in a business. You're creating a culture. Uh, another way to think about that is it's, uh, you're creating an atmosphere that people walk into. And one of your main jobs as a leader is to build that kind of a, an, an atmosphere. And, and it, it, again, it took me a lot of knocks to realize this. But what you want is the way forward. L- let me help you see what I mean by that. 
So if you want a culture or a classroom or a business or a family or a church that's full of peace, if that's what you want, then that's the way forward. So the way you get that is by having peaceful interactions. Or if you want a culture or a classroom or a business or a church or a family where people treat each other with respect, then the way to get that is to treat people with respect. Are you, are you picking this up? If you want a, 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 a space where people can be honest and where they can be vulnerable, then the way you do that if you're the leader is you are honest and you are vulnerable. Because what you want is the way forward. Now, John is trying to say to us, what is it that Jesus wants? Jesus wants us to love. And so that is the path forward. That is the command that you and I are to do. Now, I want you to think about your life for a second, and I want you to, I want you to have an aha. I, I don't know if I can make you have this aha, but it's a pretty profound aha if you have this, this click forward in your brain. It is what you do that changes your life, not what you say you believe. Let me say that to you again. It's what you do, what you actually do with your time, your energy, your resources, your calendar. It's what you do that actually changes your life, not what you say you believe. Now, we're, we're, we're terribly guilty of this as Christians. We have a set of, we talk about beliefs. I am all for having profound beliefs, powerful doctrine, great theology. But often what we do is we, we say, well, it, it's this set of ideas. I agree with this set of ideas. Now, it doesn't actually impact real life, but man, I sure agree with that set of ideas, and that's how things ought to go. And, and what we're meant to do when God tells us something is we're meant to actually put it into practice, to do the command, because God knows the only way your life is going to change is if you do something different. So you have to do the commands. And then when you do the commands of God, guess what you get? You get the atmosphere and the culture that's around God, which is grace and love. That's how you enter into it. In fact, Jesus said, if you hear his words and you put them into practice, what you do is you build a strong foundation for your life. But if you hear what Jesus says, Jesus says, if you have all of the right set of beliefs, but you never put them into practice, Jesus says what you are in effect doing is building your life on a shaky and unstable foundation. So there is a command that you and I are to do. Now, there's also a promise that we're to hold on to, and then what is a promise? Well, here's what a promise is. A promise, if you're taking notes, gives you hope and confidence. A promise gives you hope and confidence. Uh, my kids, you know, they've all played some version of sports, and um, if you've had your kids in sports or any kind of lesson or any kind of anything, you know that they, you know, if they take piano lessons, they'll have a recital, and, and one of the things your kids are looking for is for you to show up. And so if you make a promise to them and you say to them, hey, you're, you're playing this game on Thursday night and I'm going to be there. What is that to your child? It's a promise. You, put in, you deposit into them this hope that the person that means the most to me, that has been my source of security and stability, is going to show up for me at this set time. And what you do when you follow through on that promise is you, you instill confidence in them. Like, oh, my, my, my dad's there for me. My mom is there for me. And, and we're, we're all this way, right? We cannot live without hope. 
Uh, Hope is like psychological air, and it lets us breathe. If you don't have hope, you can't live. And how do we get hope? We get hope from promises, and, and God makes promises to us, and his character is such that he keeps his promises because he always does what he says he will do. He's dependable. And so John tells us the promise that you and I can rely on. I want to make sure. We're going to go deep on this. I want you to hear this in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. Here's the promise. I want you to say it out loud with me. It's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 words. Ready? Here we go. First line right there. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Say it one more time. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Don't miss this. Here is the promise from the unshakable creator of everything that you see. You will win. It's ironclad. Now, let's make sure that we understand what John's talking to us about when, when he says, you know, what does it mean to overcome? Well, you know, there, the, this is the image he's using. There's a great battle that's fought, and the, the person that is still standing at the end of that great battle, and, and the person who is left standing, who has overcome the enemy, that person, that's the one who wins. It's not the person who doesn't have any scars or any pain or any wounds, because if you're in a battle, you you have a lot of hurt, don't you? But it's the person who's still standing. Now, it's a a Greek word that he uses there for overcome. I'm going to put the Greek word on the screen. You don't, if you don't know Greek, you don't know what that says, but I promise you know this word. It is one of the most recognizable brands in the world today has stolen this word and sold you tennis shoes with it. It's the word Nike. So when you, whenever you look down at your tennis here's what I want you to do. I want to change your tennis shoes from a brand to when you look down at your tennis shoes, I want you to remember this promise from God that everyone who is born of God overcomes the world, that God has given you an ironclad promise that says, you're going to win. The struggle may be happening right now, but I promise you that you're going to stand at the end. I promise And then John's really specific because what is it that we're going to overcome? He says, and we're going to go deep on this for a second. He says, you're going to overcome the world. Now, this is one of the Bible's main categories for the fight that you and I have. We fight against the flesh, we fight against the devil, and we fight against the world. And John actually talks about the world more than any other biblical writer. And we need to make sure we know what John means so we don't insert something else. When John's talking about overcoming the world, he's not, he's not referring to uh, creation. He's not referring to the stars and the planets and the physical world as though you're going to overcome the physical world. Um, he's not talking about non-believers. The world is not non-believers. It, it's not saying, hey, listen, you're going to rule over non-believers and there really isn't us and a them and we're better than them. John's not saying that. The word that he uses there is the word cosmos. Now, you have a meaning to that because you've probably studied cosmology, the universe and the planets and, and all of that. But here's, here's what this word, some long, deep understanding to this word that philosophers used, uh, Greek philosophers and ancient philosophers used, and, and, and there's, a, there's a deep meaning to it. And it refers to the order of things. It means how things are. It, 
It's the way things are. You might be able to understand it better if you were to insert the word, the system, you know, the system that we are in. So when you hear Jesus say, in this world, you will have trouble. In the system that we are in right now and how things operate and how things work, in this world, in this system, you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world, Jesus says. I've Nike'd the world. And, and Jesus, Jesus said, John's saying that specifically the way things are without God. Because that's the world we live in. It's a world that's without God. John even fleshes this out in 1 John chapter 2. We, I looked at it a couple weeks ago, but here's how he describes everything in the world. He's trying to, again, paint the picture of how things are in the system that we live in. And he says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, that's the world. It comes not from the Father, but, for the, but from the world. And, and right now, in this system, in the way things are, those things win. And, and where you struggle is where you're not winning against those things. And so you want things that you don't have, and you see more that you can have, and you're inflated by your viewpoint at, at points, and the result is what I call the three Ds. Uh, when, when you have the, the, the lust of the flesh, which, which is you want what you don't have, and the lust of the eyes, which is seeing more than you can have, and the pride of life, which is you're inflated by your viewpoint, the three Ds come home. You become dissatisfied, depressed, and you despair. Right? It's like, I can't, I can't ever get it. I can't ever get it. Those things are winning. I don't know how to win over those things. Here's the promise John says. The promise is that you will win against the world. You will overcome the world. Anyone born of God, it's ironclad, will overcome the world. With Jesus, you will win. And if you're not winning, keep holding on to Jesus because Jesus wins. Now, I told you we're going to go deep here. Jesus' way of winning is not the world's way of winning. So why would we say we're going to win against the world and then use the world's definition of winning? So what is Jesus' way of winning? We uh, refer to Jesus, and we say Jesus Christ. I, I'm, I'm sure you know this, but uh, Jesus is the, 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 the given name. Uh, you know, the angel came to Mary, and you're to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Yeshua is the Hebrew word, which means God saves. And, and Christ is not, that's not, that's not Jesus' last name. Um, you know, it, it's the, the, the Greek version of the Hebrew word Mashiach, where we get the word Messiah. Christ is the Hebrew, the, the, the Greek equivalent of that, the, the anointed one. They both mean the anointed one. Jesus, God who saves, is the anointed one. What Jesus is what Jesus Christ means. And there was this sense of expectation that people had about when the Messiah, when the anointed one came, this is how he would rule, and this is how he would win. And everybody in Jesus' day thought that when the Messiah came, when the Christ came, that he would come as a conquering hero. He would be a war hero, and he would do violence, and he would use the sword, and he would overthrow all of the oppressors, and he would set his people free. That's what everybody thought. That's how, that's how you win, right? That's how you fight a battle. And Jesus, instead, he, he, that, that's why the disciples couldn't get it and why the Pharisees couldn't understand it because Jesus is like, that's not how I win. I'm way more like the suffering servant that the, uh, the prophet Isaiah talks about in Isaiah 53. I have a friend who says it like this. He says, we, we, uh, we often think that Jesus comes in 
on the kingdom of the white horse, you know, the victorious, you know, wielding a sword. He said, but when Jesus came in on the, the day that, of the Passover and, and there's, they threw down palm branches on the street, when, when he came in, what did he come riding in on? Not on a white horse, but on a donkey. And so our expectation is the Messiah, the Christ, is gonna, he's just going to destroy everything. But, but he came in on a donkey. He came in on the kingdom of the donkey. And that's how he overcomes the world. So what did Jesus do to overcome the world? Did he vote in a, in a free and democratic election? I, please vote. That's great. That's a great gift of democracy. Did he campaign for a candidate? I, please go ahead. Back the person you believe in. Did he take up a specific cause? Sure, do that. There are causes that need to be, have champions. That's not how he won his victory. His victory was on the cross, and the way Jesus wins is with sacrificial love. And he wins over violence by laying himself on the wood of the cross. So the command is the command, even for Jesus. The path forward is the path forward, even for Jesus. Jesus does what he wants us to do. He's an incredible leader, skilled at creating culture. John even says, he says, so in this world, we looked at it a couple weeks ago, in this world, verse, verse John, verse 4, verse 17, he says, we're like Jesus. How is Jesus in the world? Sacrificially loving it. That's how Jesus is in the world. And it's his sacrificial love that has won your freedom. And so you don't belong to the world. You're not a product of the world. If you're a disciple of Jesus and you could, you could look at the tag on the back of your heart, it would not say made in the world. And because it doesn't say made in the world, the world does not have the last word in your life. Jesus does. And that's why a promise could give you hope and confidence. So a, a command gives us a path forward. Well, what's the path forward? It's sacrificial love like Jesus. A promise gives us hope and confidence. Well, what's the promise? That we'll overcome the world like Jesus did. And then, then John gives us the example to follow. And, and a, a, what does an example do? An example shows you what's possible. This is how we learn everything, isn't it? By watching someone else. When my mom and dad were missionaries in Malawi, Africa, my dad went, and he wanted to learn the language, and so he said to the, the folks from Malawi, the language there is called Chinyanja or Chichewa, it's the tribes there in Malawi, and he said, listen, I, when, I'm, when I'm here, I know you're going to see a white man who speaks English, but I, I don't want you to use any English with me. I want you to only speak in Chichewa, and so he, he learned by by example, he listened to people and saw what they meant and began to understand it. And by the time, several years later when they left, um, he said it was very routine when someone would come around the corner and they didn't see him first, they, they were surprised to see a white man sitting there because he spoke it like a native. What did he do? He learned from someone else's example, and that's how we learn. We, we learn what's possible. So who is the example, right? Who's the example, class? Jesus. <laughs> this is how John says it. He says, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He didn't come by water only, but by water and blood. It's the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For these are the three that testify. The Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. What's the water? The water is the baptism of Jesus. When he hears 
the voice from heaven say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And in that belovedness, he is sent into the world. And what's the blood? It's the cross. John's saying Jesus ends his life with sacrificial death on the cross for the world. So John is here ending his letter, telling us again the entire ministry of Jesus. And then he says, and then he gives the spirit to his followers to to do the same thing in the world that he has done in the world. And John says that water and that blood and that spirit, the ministry of Jesus, it all says the same thing. It all agrees. Here is the example for you and I to follow. This is how we operate in the world. 